Got a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 5 as we'll be taking a look at a, a story that many of you may have heard before. Some of you may not never heard the story before, but very interesting story nonetheless. And uh, it kind of reminds me of uh, like when you read something like this of uh, lightning. You know, you hear of lightning and you know the stories. And uh, even in your own life, you really don't take it too serious until you're outside and lightning gets hitched real close. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh boy, that was really close. And uh, you get back, you get yourself back inside real quick because you realize uh, that the power and something that is overwhelmingly powerful um, happened. And you know, I better check myself and get myself under shelter because that was crazy. You know what I mean? Like that was something that was just uh, unbelievable, but believable. You know what I mean? You ever had anything unbelievable, but believable? And uh, when you read chapter 5 of, verse, uh, of Acts, you realize it's unbelievable, but it's believable. And so uh, we were working our way through the book of Acts. Now, I told you from the start, the book of Acts and the book of Hebrews um, have a lot of things in it that we're just not going to understand, not completely understand, uh, the book of, Acts is, book of Acts is more historical than the book of Hebrews, um, but the book of Acts has some remarkable, remarkable stories in them. And they are not prescriptive to church today, or not prescriptive to uh, all believers today, which what I mean by that is not everything you see or read in the book of Acts is something that you will see or hear today. Um, so there were certain things that were happening uh, in the birth of the church um, that happened no other time throughout history. And so you're going to read some of these stories and see them and ha see how uh, God was working this process. But there are a lot of great principles in them. And one of those aspects we were looking at um, was just the marks of genuine believers, the marks of uh, the, the first century church. And um, there were several marks we were talking about, several themes that we are following through the book of Acts. One is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Like, when you get to the book of Acts, you realize the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit is undeniable. I mean, it takes unlearned, uneducated, untrained men, empowers them by the Holy Spirit uh, to do things that are remarkable, to do things that are unbelievable. And, uh, you know, for us as Christians, we ought to take heart when we read the book of Acts because that gives us hope, right? And it always gives me hope as a pastor and a preacher because, you know, I really know without God, without the power of the Holy Spirit, there is nothing I can do. There is nothing I can persuade. There is no way I can just uh, outpour the power of the Holy Spirit. I think for us um, just recently... Um, to be able to see that this past uh, Saturday as well. I mean, there's no explaining that other than just an outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. That's what, that's what we get to see. That's what we, get, we got to see. And when you read these stories, you realize that's the same kind of thing they were living in week by week because it was in the early stages of the church and they were seeing the power of the Holy Spirit do things in lives that some were cowards that turned into, uh, you know, people that were, uh, had backbones of steel like Peter. Peter had denied Christ, and then God got a hold of him. The Holy Spirit filled him, and then he turned into this fire-breathing gospel preacher. I mean, totally remarkable, you know? And, and then you see people that are shy and timid, and you see God get a hold of the heart, and you see God do great, amazing things through them. And so you see the power of the Holy Spirit. One thing you see marked by the early church, the powers of the Holy Spirit. Second thing you see um, is the name of Jesus. Now, one thing that did not lack in the book of Acts and in the first century church was the name of Jesus. Like, they didn't preach anything else but the name of Jesus. 
And like in our churches today, most of the time you're going to hear something else rather than the name of Jesus, right? I mean, like, like it's something that we have uh, taken out of the Christian message because we feel like uh, it, it's offensive or we feel like maybe it's not quite what everyone needs to hear. Maybe we need to talk about more uh, different needs or different things like that. But what you realize in the book of Acts is that it's through the name of Jesus that everything flows. Like their whole message, the whole gospel is encapsulated in this person and work of Jesus Christ. And they were so convinced by this because they had handled and touched and they had heard his teachings and they saw the him resurrected. I mean, I think that would do a pretty good job, right? If you saw the resurrected Jesus uh, and they knew it, they felt it, they knew the name of Jesus and uh, they would preach and teach the name of Jesus. Matter of fact, Acts chapter four gets to the great passage where it says, uh, there's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved, right? Like, like this is the message. This is the person, Jesus Christ. They wasn't preaching a denomination. They wasn't preaching a certain style of worship. They wasn't preaching a certain style of thing. They were preaching Jesus. And it's a great mark uh, for you and for me when we hear someone speak or we hear someone share something. um, How much do they give glory to Jesus for? What is it about their message that draws you to Jesus Christ? If they don't draw you to Jesus Christ, if they draw you to be religious... You got to question that. If they draw you to try harder and to be more mentally able to help yourself, you got to question that, right? Like self-help type stuff. If they can tell you you can you know, do uh, good deeds and by, at the end of the day, you don't really need Jesus because you become a better person, you got to question that because the gospel... Uh, begins with Jesus Christ. It is all wrapped up into him. And they knew this. And they preached him. And they preached him over and over and over and over again. So a mark of, uh, a mark of the Holy Spirit, mark of Jesus, the name of Jesus Christ, uh, a mark of persecution. Now, wait a minute. How does God's work end up having persecution? Well, we know we don't live uh, in our world, right? We are in this world, but we're not of this world. And so the work of Jesus Christ and the work of the church is supernatural. It's a supernatural work done in a natural world. And so it has enemy, uh, thus mainly the devil. It has the world. It has the flesh. It has all these things that oppose uh, the message of Jesus Christ, that oppose the supernatural work of God. And so we see it over and over and over again. They were arrested. They are persecuted. They are put through trials. They are put through all sorts of things. And so for us, it's great for us to know, to be comforted, that you're going to have troubles and trials too, right? We're going to be persecuted as well. And it's part of the deal. It's part of us understanding our kingdom is yet to come, right? Like our kingdom is not of this earth. It is of yet to come. We can see a glimpse of it. We can see glimpses of this glory. We can see glimpses of the power we have in God. But at the end of the day, there's going to be opposition. At the end of the day, there's going to be persecution. At the end of the day, there's going to be religious people mad. There was uh, social people mad. There was the material people mad. I mean, if they um, had a Facebook page, it would have uh, 5 million followers, right? Of why they hate the disciples and why they hate Jesus Christ. And they, they, it, would be, it would be popular to persecute and to push away this message because it was really spreading to an unbelievable rate. But for us as Christians, I think for us as churches, sometimes we get a little pushback, we get a little persecution, 
We get a little opposition, and what do we want to do? Oh, they hurt my feelings, right? They hurt my feelings. I'm not going to say nothing anymore, right? I'm not going to say nothing at work. I'm not going to say nothing on my job. I'm not going to say something in the neighborhood. I'm not going to say nothing at my school. I'm not going to say nothing at my football team or my baseball team anymore because uh, they poked fun. They poked uh, fun of me, or they 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 uh, taken and they persecuted me a little, or they opposed me a little bit, and so I just don't want to push through that opposition. Well, let me tell you, if you're ever going to do anything great for God, get ready for opposition. It's going to come, and you got and you can overcome it, and you you just ought to expect it. And so if you're not being opposed, you got to really ask yourself the question, uh, am I really doing God's work? Uh, Dr. Vines used to say um, that if you're, if you're never opposed by the devil, maybe you're going in the same direction, all right? Because uh, it, it happens when you go, uh, he, he would always say, living, uh, living the right side up in an upside down world, all right? And so... Many times I look over there and I said, I think we're the weird ones. I don't think we fit in anymore, you know, because a lot of things you hear in this world, a lot of things you encounter in this world, just kind of scratch your head and you go, wow, that's really just strange. It's odd. You know, you're opposed, you're persecuted or, or, or things that are just doesn't seem quite to add up. That's just part of the package. It's part of the deal. It's part of preparing us to get ready to see Jesus Christ, right? I mean, it should want us to see the second coming of Jesus, you know, and we should know that then all suffering and then all persecution, then all trials will be um, put to, uh, to the end. So last week we got to, uh, we got to this last mark that we were sharing, uh, talking about uh, extreme generosity. And uh, it got to the point uh, at the end of chapter 4 uh, where everybody was coming together. They were selling their possessions. They had all things in common. They were in this unity. They were in this one, uh, this one uh, heart of pursuing God and getting the mission of Jesus Christ, the church. It, they were all together. And it says, that great grace was upon them all, and the power of the Holy Spirit was working in them. They were giving witness to the resurrection of all of them. And it says in verse 34 of chapter 4, uh, before we get to chapter 5, it says, Nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all who were possessors of the land or houses sold them and brought them the proceeds that were sold, laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed them uh, uh, to each as anyone had need. And so we see this extreme mark of generosity. Like these people loved God and they loved one another and they were willing to put their money where their mouth is. Don't you love it when people are willing to put their money where their mouth is? Uh, it's great to pray for people. It's great to say you love people. It's great to say you care for people. But when you give, when you actually serve or you give to one another, that really, as one pastor said, puts feet to your prayers, right? I mean, that really shows or backs up a tangible way that you have this love in your heart. And it's a great mark of the Christian church that we are to be generous. We are to be givers. We are to be ones who take the needs of others and bear their burdens. That's our responsibility. That's, that's, that's the opportunity that we have. And here they were. They were laying it all down on their feet. They were distributing it to all the ones. The, the church was growing. The church was in unity. The church was doing all that. And then he introduced to uh, good old Barney. Don't you love Barney? Uh, Barney's better known as Barnabas in, in the last part of this. Uh, his Barnabas, which was translated the son of encouragement. And uh, I said last week that if I died and they could put that on my tombstone, he was a son of encouragement. That would be a pretty good statement, wouldn't it be? 
I mean, don't you want to be an encourager, not a discourager? I told you about uh, my pastor, uh, that I, uh, an evangelist that wrote the book, A Cup of Cold Water, and he mentioned people that were like a cup of cold water splashing in the face every time you see him, right? And uh, you don't want to be that person. You don't want to be the person that when someone uh, comes towards you, they go the other way because they see who you are, right? Or you can brighten up a room by leaving it, right? You, can, uh, <laughs> you don't want to be that person that's a discourager. Uh, Barney was an encourager. He was an encourager. He was one of those that followed Paul, and he encouraged him. We talked about how can we be encouragers. How can we be encouragers today? Uh, number one, we said well, you could just show up. When you show up for people, that makes a difference in their life. Right, people are not so much going to remember what you say or what you do, but they're going to remember if you show up or not. And if you just show up, you just be there to support someone and show up and be an encouragement. Have joy in your heart to encourage, to lift someone up. I always think about that. Uh, when you leave someone, were they lifted up or were they torn down? It's a great question to ask yourself, because especially when you come to church, when you come to church, you ought to leave that, the church and you ought to have left it better than you found it, right? You ought to leave it lifted up rather than torn down. And so Barnabas was an encourager. He was one who was set an example. He had this land. He sold it from this property he had. He brought all the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Everything was going great. Everything was going well. The church was growing. The, the, the apostles were preaching the gospel. And so then comes chapter 5. So chapter 5 comes. We're going to read our story. Uh, I want to read uh, all the way through um, down to verse uh, 11. Then I want to go back and uh, kind of take a look at it. So it says, but, so all that I mentioned before, and it says, but, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back a part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? Well, you have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias heard these words, fell down and breathed his last so great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land and for, so mu for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it? that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord. Look, the feet of those who have already buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then she immediately fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her out, buried her by the, her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all those who heard these things. Man. What do you think the ushers thought when they showed up for church that night? <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'd be back as an usher on that one. But uh, Miss Carol, what does all this mean? Tell us. 
<laughs> I caught her off guard. Look at her. <laughs> I wouldn't do that, but I've known Miss Carol ever since I was little. Well, I was never little, but I was just smaller. I knew her ever since I was smaller, all right? <laughs> uh, anybody got any preliminary comments they want to share? Anything pre before we dig into it a little bit? Something that just stands out to them or something that struck their heart in this story? All right. Yeah. All good points. And, uh, you know, like I said, uh, some of these are head scratchers. Some of these are meant to challenge us. Uh, and uh, like I said, the book of Hebrews and the book of Acts, um, obviously we read things in there. We understand things in there. Um, we try to interpret them the best that we can. But at the end of the day, um, there, is a, there is a mystery to it that's, I think, meant to be for us, that we are to look at this and we are to consider this and we are to look at it with a sobered heart, like, you know, a sobering heart. And to look uh, to this and to see how serious God really is uh, in His holiness and also in His work. I mean, if you look to what he, uh, really transpires here, um, obviously He said He had uh, lied to God, not to men. But also uh, what it was going to go against was uh, the beginning of the church or the mission of the gospel. Um, to be able to go from there to the ends of the earth. And so... Um, I think it's interesting he begins uh, by saying, but. So I think this can carry the thought process through that uh, here was Ananias and Sapphira. Um, they were probably going along. They were probably a part of the group. They probably uh, began to go to church. They began to go uh, to their meetings. They began to hear this message of the gospel. They had seen um, the spreading of it as well. Uh, large numbers of people were responding to the gospel um, first time Peter preached, there was 3,000. Second time, there was at least 5,000. Uh, many more um, that were not mentioned. So it was spreading like wildfire. It became very popular. Um, it had become a time to where um, people were really uh, interested and they were uh, trying to come to understand uh, this, this movement or this uh, spiritual um, uh, process of this new thing, concept of uh, transitioning away from the nation of Israel transitioning away from the old system into this new system. The worship went from Saturday to Sunday, which was a major um, difference. And the first day of the week uh, on Sunday after the resurrection and uh, all this stuff was happening. And so I think Ananias and Sapphira, if you look a little deeper and read a little deeper in here, um, like they had saw Barney uh, go up there and uh, I'm sure people were uh, talking about how blessed they were and how great it was that Barnabas would give so much money and would give all that he had. And they started hearing these stories and they thought, hey, we, we want to be recognized a little bit too. You know what I mean? Like, hey, we want to be a little bit part of this story as well. And we want to be a part of this story and be a part of this movement. And uh, I think uh, through reading through the scriptures here, um, one of the first things you can identify is pride. Now, I think this pride that began to build in their heart, um, pride of saying, hey, we want recognition. We want to take a little bit of, of the glory too. And uh, I don't know if you've read much of the Bible, but if you read all the way through the Old Testament, um, all the way up through the New Testament as well, um, first thing you realize is that God will share his glory with no man, right? Like, that is one thing that God does not put up with. Like, uh, he will not share his glory. He will not allow someone to take his glory or steal his glory. And so, I think pride began to work, which is very interesting. Uh, Satan's major downfall was caused from pride, right? Uh, it says that he wanted to elevate himself above God. 
So he wanted to be he wanted to be recognized. He wanted to be known more than God. And I think for them uh, that was the that was the entry point. Uh, that was the door that they left open for Satan to come through. And uh, you know, in our hearts and our lives, it's very important to always check our hearts for pride. Um, pride is a sneaky sin, but pride is a very destructive sin. Pride will ruin your life. Pride will ruin your marriages. Pride will ruin your relationship with your kids. Pride will ruin your relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. Pride will ruin organizations. Pride will ruin, uh, you know, all, uh, all sorts of things, your finances. I mean, pride is sneaky, but it's powerful. And when you fall into pride and you fall into especially this kind of pride, uh, where they wanted to elevate themselves to a point of prominence, to a point of wanting to be recognized because they didn't have to give it. But I think in their mind, between Ananias and Sapphira, uh, they had decided, hey, let's get along with this too. Let's, let's time for us to be recognized a little bit, right? It's time for us to be um, put to the front a little while and, put, and let people see us and let us be a part of this uh, process. And so um, they had went and sold this possession. They had went out and they sold this possession. I think personally, it probably wasn't of a pure heart. It was of a prideful heart. So they went out, they sold this possession to gain some sort of leverage um, in their life towards this glory uh, that they would receive. And so uh, verse 2 says they kept back part of the proceeds. So this was premeditated, right? Now, I love uh, criminal shows. You guys know that, right? And the detectives that always do these murders and they always do these crimes, the first thing they ask was, was it premeditated? And you realize premeditated murder has a more serious charge than just first degree or regular second degree murder or manslaughter. It wasn't like they were just out there and they got in a fight and the other person died. Or it wasn't just like they were uh, coming together and they had road rage and they ended up, one of them ended up murdering the other one. No, it's they plotted it. They planned it. It was premeditated in their heart. They thought about it for a while. They planned it out. They brought stuff to do this. It was already premeditated. And I think when you see this here, it was already premeditated. It wasn't just they showed up at church and they're like, oh, yeah, let's give all their money. Oh, I'm sorry. We, we forgot about it, right? We didn't know about that. No. Uh, if you read it, it was premeditated. They kept back this part. And obviously, him and his wife were both in on this, and they were both being aware of it. So it wasn't something that was just by happenstance. It wasn't just something that happened. It wasn't just a miscalculation. Um, it wasn't just that they were going to pay or give their, uh, this money, and they had forgot or they had miscalculated. No, they both knew, and they both premeditated, and they both held back parts of the proceeds. So their heart was already bent towards it already. It wasn't like it just happened. It was already part of it. And so they brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. So the part that they decided to keep, they hid. And by the way, a good signal that you're not right with the Lord or you're going to do something wrong is if you try to hide it, right? I talked about this a little bit in Hebrews uh, this past Sunday, and, and uh, I'll talk about it a little bit more this Sunday. Uh, there's something about sin that makes you want to hide it. You want to hide it. You don't want it out in the open. You, you get real protective and you start hiding from your wife or you start hiding from your husband. You start hiding from your kids or kids start hiding from their parents and brothers and sisters in Christ start hi hiding from other Christians and they begin to hide it. 
and they begin to hide these things. And I heard a story this week of a man who had uh, went through uh, this Kentucky Fried Chicken, and uh, he went through there to get him some chicken, and through the line there, uh, he had grabbed his bag to go to the park uh, with his uh, with a with a lady he had with them, and they had went through the line. They went to this park to have uh, to have a picnic, and uh, when he got there, he opened up the bag, and he realized that they had given him the bag with all the cash that they had for deposit for that day. It was like almost uh, $7,000 he had in this bag. And uh, he opened it up, and I thought, wow, that would have been a great surprise, right? He opened it up, and there was $7,000. And so he was like, well, I can't keep this. I have to take this back. And so he gathered back up the money, he took it back to the manager, and he walked in, and of course the manager was already on panic and high alert. Um, he was already totally um, thinking that he was going to be fired and all this other stuff. So he walked in there and he says, here, I came through the line, you guys handed me this bag, there was $7,000 in here, I want to give it back to you. And the manager looked at him and he says, wow, this is amazing. He said, what is your name? We want to put it on social media. We want to call the paper and tell them your name. And he says, oh, no, 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 no. He said, don't, don't put my name in there. He said, the woman I was with was not my wife. <laughs> so, <laughs> so as honest as he was with the money, he was still hiding something else, all right? He still was hiding that he was, he was out on a, on, a, on a date with someone that was not his wife. And, and it brings up the question, the honesty of your heart, like the honesty of their heart, this pride had pierced it, and they were hiding it. They wanted to hold it, and they, they hid it. They, put it. they put it away. So this was premeditated. They knew what they were doing. It was progressively building in their hearts for a while. You know, the devil never runs in and knocks on the door of your heart and says, Hey, I'm the devil. I'm going to ruin your life today. Right? I mean, who would fall for that? You know, Halloween's coming, and, and you know, you got all these little Satan outfits and everything. He never shows up with a pitchfork and a red suit, you know, and says, hey, I'm the devil. Here I am. I'm going to ruin your marriage, you know, or here I am. I'm going to ruin your family. Here I am. I'm going to ruin your life. No, he begins deceptively. He begins through a simple process, and they left the door open. They left the door open. And they begin to hide it and it begin to build. And so they had worked their way up to this act that happened. And so verse 3 comes and says, But Peter says to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? I don't know about you, but I hate the devil. You know what I mean? I hate Satan. Here comes Satan now. And it says, uh, Satan has filled your heart. It's an interesting question what Miss Carol asked about what this means uh, in the Greek language. This word is the same exact word that was used in chapter 2 when it talks about their hearts was filled with the Holy Spirit. Same word. It means to be controlled by or influenced by. Like under the grips of. Like we are led by the Spirit. This means being led by Satan. Like Satan had his grip. Satan had the influence in his heart. Satan had the ones that pulled his strings and, they, and he had lied to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was uh, there to tell him no, to tell him don't do it, to tell him not to turn, to turn back. But yet Satan lied to him and told him, keep it, do it, you deserve it. They overlook you. It's, it, it, it's for you and your family and for your wife's sake. You, you, you've done enough. You should be the one who's, who, who's part of that. So he had, he had let the Satan had filled his heart and controlled him and uh, had pulled him aside. Then verse 4 says, while it remained 
he questions them. While, while it remained, was it not your own? After it was not sold, now it's in your who is who is Who was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? So we see it. Uh, he goes back to the original root of it. He said, this was in your heart. You let Satan take control. It was one step at a time, and you got too far into it. Now it has, you acted this out, and he says, you have not lied to men, but to God. And to me, this brings up what Tammy spoke about as well. Uh, when you think about it, this was not man's work. This was God's work, right? You think about the supernatural power of the church. You think about the supernatural spreading of the gospel that was taking place right here. It was new. It was fresh. It was something that was in complete unity. And at this point in time, if something would have entered into it that, was, uh, that would have broken that unity and would have broken that spirit, um, it would have caused uh, great harm and great danger to the work of God. And, you know, I think a lot of times when we think about things in our heart and our life, you know, we think about how, oh, this is just something that might be personal or just might be between us. And we fail to recognize that there's a God who works behind all those things. And when we go against something that God is trying to do, we don't lie to men or we don't, we don't do it to man, but we do it to God. That if God is trying to restore someone's heart and we come in and we tear that down, then we don't do it against just that person. We do it against God. If we if there's a work of God and we tear it down, we don't tear it down. We don't tear it down just against the person or the man. We tear it down against God's kingdom. And and I think Tammy was right. She she hit on this part here. It was good because this was a work of God. And let me tell you, when you set yourself up to go against God, you're going to lose every time. You're going to lose every time. I, I look back in the Old Testament. And uh, in the book of Proverbs, it says that there were seven things that God hates. That's an abomination to him. You know what one of them is? He who sows discord among the brethren. That's what it is. He's saying here's this unity of God's people and they're serving the Lord. And one comes along and sows discord in there to break up this kingdom or to break up this work or to break up the work of God. And you may think it's about a personality or a person, but it's against God. And this thing was holy and this thing was uh, uh, ordained by God. And yet he came against this man. He came against what he thought was just something physical but Peter tells them, you've done, not done this to man, but you've done this to God. And you know, I think for us as a culture, I think it would be great for us to remember these things right. It would be great for us to remember these things as parents when we think about our children, you know. That God has given us our children to be a, a, a gift to us, but also we're a steward to them. And we are to steward those children. And when we don't steward those children, when we don't lead them in the things of God, when we, don't, when we don't lead them in the things of the Lord, we're not going against just them. We're going against the plan of God. When you have places in, in life where you know you're supposed to serve, or you know you're supposed to do things, but yet you're tearing it down and you keep pulling it apart, and even in your marriage or your home or even parts that God puts you, uh, calls you to be a part of, you're not just tearing down men, you're tearing down the work of God. And we gotta be we gotta be cautious of that. We we gotta be realizing that we, we're not just going against a man, but we're going against God Himself. Let me tell you, if God is for something, you better be for it too. Don't be against it. Because if you're against it, you're gonna lose. And Ananias found out the hard way. He thought, I'll keep it, I'll be elevated, I'll be able to take control, and even from this process forward, if he was not stopped right here, what would have happened? What would have happened to the message of the gospel? What would have happened to the work of God? Let me tell you, it would have done severe harm. I just think about today. 
with a church with 2,000 years of history behind it, with the Word of God, with the power of the Holy Spirit, and the promise of Jesus to come, when someone does this to, to, to the kingdom of God today, how much damage that it does. How many people say, well, I would love God, but if it wasn't for the people, right? You ever heard people say that? I went to this place or I, did, I went to this church and these people did this and they did this and they did that. You got to realize that's not just against man, that's against the work of God. And there's a price to pay when you go against God and he paid dearly. And I think this is much like we read in the Old Testament where the ark was first uh, established. Do you remember that? And God told him not to touch the ark. And remember it was a traveling and it fell to go to one side. What does the guy do? He reaches his hand out to stop it. What happens to him? He dies, right? And I think this is, this is something in the beginning that God was establishing, his holiness, his righteousness, his power. And he was saying, here comes this person. He's going to try to break this up. But the power of the gospel and the purity of it was so strong that when he touched her, when he came against it, he didn't have a chance. And so Ananias heard these words. He was immediately convicted and he fell down and he breathed his last. So uh, that means he, he gave up the ghost right there. He, was, he died right uh, they're in the midst of them. And then it says, so great fear came upon all those who heard these things. I imagine so, right? Everyone who thought they were going to give something probably went back home and said, hey, you know what? We better get the rest of that money, right? We better, we're not quite say we're going to give that or do that or come against God. And I think it really set a standard of them knowing that this was the work of God. This wasn't just Peter. This wasn't just John. This wasn't just a couple fishermen together. This was the work of the Lord. And when you go against it, there is, there is, there is a great price to pay. And, and so then if you look down now, three hours later, here comes his wife. In verse 7, it says, she not knowing what happened. Uh, then Peter asked her, tell me whether you sold the lamb for so much. He gives her a chance. So he had a chance. Now she has a chance. And he said, she said, yes, for so much. She had stuck to the plan. She stuck to the lie. And obviously, it wasn't just in his heart. It was in her heart as well. So both of them had lied to the Holy Spirit. Both of them were influenced by Satan. Both of them had the grips together. And it says, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? And this is what I was talking about before. When they, how in the world do you get to a point to where you would even get to a point to where you'd want to challenge God himself? Talking about a little bit in Hebrews, talking about a little bit more later on. But something inside of them led to a heart of unbelief or a heart uh, that decided to go against God to see if he was really as serious as he is. Would he really do what he says he would do? You know, parenting, especially for me, um, this is always a challenge as well. You know, your kids will always challenge you. You tell them not to do something and then they know to do it and they do it at the right time to see and to test you if you're really serious about what you say. And if you say you're going to do something, you don't do it, then they know it, right? They know the next time they can do it again and again and again and again. I'm not saying you can't ever give them mercy. You can't ever give them grace. And you can't ever, uh, not, you can't ever uh, give them a second chance. But I am saying if they, have a, if they have a heart that goes against you and you tell them not to do something and they test you, your authority as a parent, you better make sure you stick to that authority, right? You better make sure that you establish that clear line. And with God, there's a clear line. And he says, you have done it. You have tested it. And when you test the Lord, guess what? He is as faithful as he can be. Hebrews mentioned this as well when he talks about the children of Israel in the Old Testament. They had cried out. They wanted to enter the promised land. But he said, you put me to the test. And the Lord was faithful in his judgments. 
You know, that's the thing about God. He's faithful in his judgments, but he's also faithful in his mercy and his grace. But yet when his judgment comes, he is faithful to his judgments. And he says, I'm not just going to bend or bow or break. You got to pay the price. And he says, look, the feet of those who were there are going to come get you. And she fell down. She breathed her last. And they came in and carried her out. Verse 11. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all uh, who heard these things. Uh, verse 11 right there. That's the first time you see the word church used in Acts. Before it was all talking about apostles, talking about followers, talking about those who have given their hearts to God. But this is the first time you actually see the word church used in the Greek again in verse 11 for those that were doing, uh, thinking through the Bible study. So great fear, great reverence came upon all those who heard these things and saw these things. And they were, it was just the purity of the church. And what a great reminder for us in our hearts and lives today. And obviously, as I've said this before, um, we see this uh, kind of like I started out talking about the lightning. Uh, we as Christians, we know that God has this limit. He has this reverence we're to have for him. There are things in our life that we tempt God and we test God. And there are, there's a line that's going to be drawn there. And I think we see that throughout the rest of the New Testament. When we get to the end in Revelation, the line is drawn. And once that line is crossed, it is, it's done. The judgment of God will come. And he's not going to go back on it. He will be faithful to do that. And in our hearts and our lives, the challenge for us is to make sure we keep our hearts pure before the Lord. To make sure we don't give the devil a foothold, right, in our hearts and our lives. And it's so easy, like I said, to give him just a little foothold. And for them, it was probably pride. Could have been something else. But I just assume in my own mind, it's pride. And I, and I assume that for me uh, as well, that both of them were Christians, they were part of this church. They were part of this process. They were part of this growing. And yet they, were, they had got to themselves to a point to where they had totally given themselves over to this pride to push themselves ahead and even lied to God or lied to the Holy Spirit and kept back of it. And they had to pay the price. And our hearts, what a great way to remember, keep our hearts pure, to keep our hearts right before the Lord, to keep our hearts right before um, the things that we do for God. And always remember and always ask ourselves, are we doing this for man or are we doing this for God? Because at the end of the day, you're not lying against me. You're not lying against your, those who are in your life. You're lying against God. You're lying against him and you, lie, and you are held accountable by him. He is the judge. Now, we may go together and we may see one another. We may come to church together. But the accountability can only be surfaced, but the accountability with God is much deeper than that, right? I mean, his, his accountability as the great judge, um, I'm not going to be standing there on that day. I will have an account for me to give to God myself. You and God will be there, and God will be the judge, and you will give an answer. And for them, they had to answer that day, uh, knowing what they had done, and God had called their number, and he had, he had taken to that time where he had, he had uh, made an example out of them. And uh, unfortunately, um, for Ananias and Sapphira, uh, their time was up. And uh, their time had come, and they had, uh, they had, they had uh, given themselves over to this. So I think as you, uh, as you crawl your way through this, and as you think this through and ponder it in your heart, um, I think it's very important for us to, to really consider um, this story. Consider how we are in our own hearts and our own lives. You know, not to want to steal God's glory, not to want to um, do something that will give a foothold to the devil. And you say, well, that's impossible. That's so hard. There's no way I'd fall for something like that. I think you'd be surprised. 
You know, our hearts are redeemed and our hearts do, do have the power of the Holy Spirit in them. But when we let a little foothold of the devil in there, I think you'd be surprised what people do, right? I, I think you'd be surprised what your own heart would do. And, and, and sometimes it might happen when you see another person and they've offended you and you got a little root of unbitterness in your heart and unforgiveness. Let me tell you, let that unforgiveness breed for a while and let it grow in your heart. Next thing you know, you begin to hate people. You begin to hate them. You begin to hate their family. You begin to hate all those things. Let me tell you, uh, I've said this a, a million times, and I hope it lands in my heart, and I hope you have landed in your heart. You can't be right with God and be wrong with people. It just doesn't happen that way. You got to be right with people, and so you can be right with God. And if you're right with God, you'll be right with people. And you might have unforgiveness. You might have pride. You might have some other sort of jealousy in your heart that when someone else does well, you think, oh, I want that, or that should have been me, or that I should have got the credit for that. I should have done this. And let me tell you, don't let those roots get into your heart and grow because if they do, all of a sudden that Satan will begin to fill your heart and he begins to pull the influence of your heart. Next thing you know, you're way out of line and you're, uh, you're, you're to a point to where you're actually controlled by his lies and controlled by his influence. Don't let him have any part of your heart. Keep yourself pure. Keep yourself holy. Be like Barnabas. Be pure. Be pure-hearted. Be, be an encourager. Be one who wants to do it because of the goodness of God and for the will of God and for the glory of God for all that you do. And uh, such a sobering story. Um, so I hope that helped clear up some of the parts of it as I worked our way through it. Uh, we will, uh, I'm going to pray. I want to talk about it. You guys can talk about it a little bit more. Maybe you want to add something to it, and then we'll get to our prayer time uh, tonight as we pray. So let's pray together.